You ever faced an impossible situation? What's the most impossible situation you could think of? Somebody said what? Cancer. Some of you may be facing uh, one of those impossible situations right now. You may think, you know, I'm, I'm in one of those. This morning, as we continue talking about trusting God with all of your heart, I want to tell you about an impossible situation that we find in the Bible, in the life of Abraham. I also want us to understand that Abraham's impossible situation is in the Bible because it illustrates for us what the ultimate impossible situation is that all humanity faces, but that if we trust God, He will do the impossible. Genesis chapter 12, this Abraham's impossible situation begins with a promise from God. Genesis chapter 12, if you have your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Otherwise, you can follow along on the screen. Here's what God told Abram. Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, to a land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. And you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So here's the promise. God says, Abram, and by the way, he's 75 years old at this point. He says, Abram, I'm going to uh, bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to, from you, I'm going to build this great nation. And there's coming from this nation, from your loins, a descendant that's going to bless all the nations of the world. Great promise, right? I mean, what if God stepped into your life right now and gave you such a great promise that, that you didn't see a way that it could be fulfilled? Well, this is what it started with. But let's look at Abraham's hopeless or impossible situation. First of all, Abraham was dead and hopeless, as good as dead and hopeless. Let's look at that. Right now in Genesis chapter 12, Abraham's problem was that God said, I'm going to give you descendants. I'm going to bless the world through you, but now Abram's going, Lord, I'm 75 years old. How many of you want to start having children at 75 years old? We turn to Genesis chapter 15, and look, now Abram is 85 years old. So 10 years has passed from Genesis 12 to Genesis 15, still no kids. And God says in verse 1, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. But Abram said, Lord God, what will you give me, seeing I go childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus? Then Abraham said, Look, you have given me no offspring. Indeed, one born in my house is my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This one shall not be your heir, but one who will come from your own body shall be your heir. Then he brought him outside and said, Look now toward heaven. Count the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, So shall your descendants be. So in Genesis 15, 85-year-old Abram, still no baby, yet God's saying your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. We turn to Genesis chapter 18. Abram is now 99 years old. 
no kid from Sarah. Started a promise at 75. Reminded of that promise at 85. Still comes to 99. No baby from Sarah. In fact, we read in verse eight, chapter 18, verse 9, three men visited Abram. We know that they were heavenly divine visitors. They asked, where is Sarah, your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, this is this divine visitor. I will certainly return to you according to the time of life. And behold, Sarah, your wife, shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door, which was behind him. And now Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in years or in age. And Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed, just like you did a minute ago. When I asked you how many of you would like to have a kid at 75, now Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90. And she laughed and she said, after I've grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord, being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh? Saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will return to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. We read in Hebrews 11, 11 that Sarah was past the age. We read in Hebrews 12, 12 that Abram was as good as dead. Listen to Romans 4, 19, and from the New Living Translation, that at about 100 years of age, Abraham figured his body was as good as dead. And so was Sarah's womb, and she was 90. Romans 4.18 talks about all this was contrary to hope. So what we see here is Abraham and Sarah's situation was dead and hopeless. It was impossible. It really was. Just because you know the outcome doesn't make it less possible for Abraham and Sarah. We know how it turns out. But you put yourself in Abraham and Sarah's situation. They have gone childless for all these years. Abraham's 99, Sarah's 90. And still, God had promised this, but it wasn't happening. So basically, as any normal human being would, Abraham and Sarah recognized how impossible this situation was. We're almost dead. At least our ability to reproduce is dead. It's impossible. Well, look at God's response. In Genesis 15... It's interesting what God said to Abram. He said in verse 1, Abram, I am your shield. I am your exceedingly great reward. And then in Genesis 18, he said to Sarah and to Abraham, is anything too hard for the Lord? You know what we do when we face an impossible situation? What do we do? We look at the situation. We look at our ability to resolve the situation, and we see that it, that's, that makes it even more impossible because we're helpless. We might as well be dead if we got to accomplish that or if that has to be fulfilled in my life. But see what God did for Abraham and Sarah? He sh- helped shift their focus. He said, Abraham, I I am your reward. I will do this. 
Nothing is too hard for me. God put the emphasis back on himself instead of Abraham's circumstances. That's what we have to do. What impossible situation are you facing? Quit looking at the situation and look at God. Trusting the Lord with all of our heart means we're not trusting in a desired result. Whatever situation you're facing, some of you think, well, it's, maybe it's not impossible, but it surely seems difficult. And you have this desired outcome already laid out in your mind of how you want this to turn out, how this need will be met, how this circumstance can be uh, resolved. And we tend to think that faith is, I'm going to ask God for this, what I want to happen, and I'm going to uh, put all my faith in, in this desired outcome. This is the way it's going to work out. The problem with that is, when you read the Bible, that doesn't match the Scripture. Because it doesn't always work out that way. If you read Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, remember we looked at it last week. You read the last part, it talks about some experienced great victory. They went through the lion's den. They quenched the violence of flames, stopped the mouths of lions. But others, others were tortured. Others were beaten. Others were imprisoned. Others were stoned. Others were cut in half with a sword. It doesn't always work out perfectly. So if we think that trusting the Lord and having faith in God means I ask him for this and this is what I trust him for, that's not faith. Because if you don't get this, then where's your faith? If your faith is in this desired outcome, what you've asked God to do, and he doesn't do it that way, then where's your faith? It's shot to smithereens. But if your faith is in God, no matter what, God, I'm trusting you. Job said, Lord, though you slay me, I will trust in you. You think Job wanted to suffer as much as Job suffered? You think Job begged God for deliverance? And it seemed that he went from bad to worse. And then to pile on top of that, he had some friends that surrounded him, and instead of comforting him, they tormented him even further. So listen, friends, trusting God with all your heart is not about believing in a desired outcome. God told Abraham, Abraham, get your eyes off of your childlessness and get your eyes on me. That's what it means to trust the Lord with all your heart, no matter what. Now look, Abraham and Sarah were faced with a choice. Will they trust God in spite of how bleak the circumstances look? Is God dependable? Will he deliver on his promise even though we don't understand how he can? And we come to Genesis chapter 15. We didn't read this far at first, but look at verse 6. This is after God promised him these descendants, and it says in verse 6, And Abraham believed in the Lord, and God accounted it to him for righteousness. He says the same thing in Romans chapter 4, verse 17 through 21. Let me read those verses. This is Abraham's response. Paul records these words, I have made you a father of many nations, God said, in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead 
and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Who, contrary to hope, in hope believed, so that he became the father of many nations. According to what was spoken, so shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead, since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. And being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. So Abraham had a response. He had a choice. Here, I see my impossible situation. God has redirected my attention to him. Now I have a choice. Am I going to believe God or keep feeling hopeless? He made a choice. I'm going to believe God. And the moment he made that choice, that choice of faith, it says God credited or deposited righteousness upon him, declared him righteous. So, let me ask you a question. What was then Abraham's blessing? Some of you are thinking the answer, but you're scared to say it because you know I might trick you, and I probably am. No, it's not really true. I would, I, I would have said, to, if I were in your shoes, I would have said his blessing was a son. What was the son's name? Isaac. I would have said the blessing's a son. And surely that was his immediate blessing. It was. God fulfilled his promise. Gave him a son in his old age. But in reality, what was the bigger blessing? A savior. A savior. You see... God told Abraham, this is what I'm going to give you. Abraham believed. And what did God give him? Righteousness. Righteousness. And how did that righteousness come? It harkens back to Genesis chapter 12, where he said, From you, through you, I'm going to bless all the nations of the world. If you trace Jesus' lineage from Matthew or Luke, you see it goes through all the way back to Abraham. God was pointing Abraham to the bigger picture that he, God, would provide salvation not only to Abraham, but to the whole world through his ultimate descendant, Jesus Christ. And we'll see this further next week when we looked at, look at another aspect of Abram's walk with, with God. But I want to ask you to think about this. What's more impossible? God giving an old couple a baby. I'm not talking about adoption. I'm talking about this 90-year-old woman conceived and birthed a baby. They didn't have C-sections back then. She birthed this baby. Got any 90-year-olds in here? Got any 99-year-olds in here? Can y'all conceive the, what it would be like to conceive at your age and birth a baby? That's weird. That sounds impossible. It's ludicrous. It's laughable. So what's more impossible, God to give an old couple a baby or God calling a pagan idol worshiper like Abraham was and making him righteous? Which was harder for God?
Which was harder for God, God giving an old couple a baby or God bringing his son through the line of Abraham into the world so that all godless, idol-worshiping pagans like you and me could be saved and made righteous? Which is more possible? In other words, a holy, righteous God making a way for an unholy, unrighteous sinner like us to become holy and righteous in his sight by trusting and believing in his son, Jesus Christ. That, to me, is the most impossible situation there ever was. That a sinner like me could go to heaven. Like Abraham and Sarah, we are all dead and hopeless. The Bible says so in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1. The Bible says, And we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Verse 5 says, We were dead in our trespasses. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13 tells us, We were dead in our trespasses. That is, we were dead in sin. Abraham acknowledged that he was dead. I'm as good as dead. It's hopeless. Here's what one commentator wrote about this. The application to salvation is clear. God must wait until the sinner is dead and unable to help himself. And I don't mean physically dead, of course, but acknowledgement that there's nothing he can do to save himself before God can release his saving power. As long as the lost sinner thinks he's strong enough to do anything to please God... He cannot be saved by grace. It was when Abraham admitted that he was dead that God's power went to work in his body. It was, and it's when the lost sinner confesses that he is spiritually dead and unable to help himself that God can save him. You and I are not worthy of being saved. I hope everybody here acknowledges and believes that. If you think you're worth being saved, you're not saved. I'm sorry. It's as plain and simple as that. If you think you're good enough to go to heaven, you're going to bust hell wide open. There ain't nobody good enough. One sin is enough to send a sinner to hell. One. The Bible says so. If you violate the law in one point, You're guilty of violating the whole law. James chapter 2 in the Bible. One's enough. None of us are worthy. We all must acknowledge that we're dead and that we are hopeless. Ephesians 2.12 tells us we are without hope, without having no hope and without God in the world. So what's more impossible than a filthy sinner like me who deserves to die And go to hell, getting to live with the one true holy God in the perfection and fullness of his glory forever and ever. Nothing is more impossible than that. But if we will place our faith and trust in God who provided his one and only son, Jesus Christ, then we experience the same blessing that Abraham experienced. We are declared righteous. That is right with God. How can a sinner like me be made right with God? It's only through the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ, that he gives me the moment I trust him. 
You see, the Bible tells us this in Romans chapter 4. Let's look at verse 16 and 17. And again, he's talking about Abraham here, and he's applying it to any believer. He says, therefore, it is, not, it is a faith, that is salvation, that it might be according to grace, so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only to those who are of the law, but also to those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations in the presence of him whom he believed, God, who gives life to the dead. We just sang about that a moment ago in the song Resurrecting. He's resurrected us from the dead by faith. And he calls those things which do not exist as though they did. Look at verse 22. And therefore, here he's quoting Genesis 15, 6, where it says that he believed God. Verse 22 of Romans 4 says, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Paul is using that same phrase, pulling it out of the Old Testament, applying it to all people who will believe in God. He says in verse 23, it's not written for Abraham's sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed, that is, given to us. If we believe in him who raised up Jesus, our Lord, from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses and raised because of our justification. So what situation are you facing today that could be any more impossible than you getting to go to heaven? If God can do that, if he can allow me into heaven, <laughs> ain't nothing he can't do. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. That's what he told Sarah and Abraham. Is anything too hard for the Lord? I want you to understand, Abraham. I want you to understand, Sarah, this giving you a child at 90, and you, Abraham, at 90, that's nothing to me. I want you to understand what I'm doing here. I'm bringing through that son a savior into the world so that men and women just like you, Abraham and Sarah, who were pagans before I met you, before you met me, I'm bringing that son into the world so that I can bring my son into the world who will pay for the sins of everybody and who, through whom everybody who trusts him will be saved. There's nothing too hard for the Lord there's some of you here today maybe who say, you know, I'm too far gone for God. I'm too dead in my sin. That's what Abraham thought. I'm too dead physically to have a child. There's some people who think I'm too far gone spiritually. I've done way too much. I'm into stuff that, that would shock you, preacher. It doesn't shock God. He's been watching you your whole life. But he still offers you salvation. He called a pagan worshiper to be the father of many nations. He can call you from where you are. You're not too far gone. Romans 4, 17, God excels at giving life to the dead. You're dead, yeah. But he can resurrect you if you'll trust him. How can a sinner become a saint? Because God excels at calling those things that do not exist as though they did. I can make a sinner into a saint if they'll trust me and ask me to forgive their sin. 
You can trust God to save you. He will keep his promise. He will save you. You just have to ask him. Before you ask him, though, you must believe that he will. And you must believe that that he already paid for. He's already provided for your salvation. You don't have to jump through hoops. You just have to take a step of faith and ask him to forgive your sin. Ask him to save you. The moment you believe, you get the same blessing Abraham got, righteousness. You get a savior, one who saves you from your sin. You get to live forever with God starting today. You get to begin an eternal walk with God that lasts forever and ever. God delights in doing the impossible. What about the great need in your life right now that seems impossible? Listen, the greatest need a person will ever have is Jesus. Because the greatest problem you ever had was sin. And Jesus is the answer. What about that financial need? What about that health need? What about that family problem? What about that career issue? What about that job that you're trying to do that seems impossible sometimes? Compare all those things to what Jesus has already done for you. Get your focus off of the problems and look at the one who's already solved the greatest problem for you. And then those things pale in comparison. What about when God leads you to do something you don't think you can do? What about about when God asks us as his people to trust him uh, to do something that he's asking us to do that we can't do? We think we cannot do that. There's no physical, financial way. There's There's not enough manpower or money power to accomplish that, Lord. How can we do that? And the church needs to remember what Jesus has already done for us. He's already accomplished the most impossible situation for us. Everything else pales in comparison. A.W. Tozer said, God's looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. That's what he found in Abraham. I can do something impossible through Abraham because Abraham trusted me. Friends, if you will trust God, he will begin doing things that will blow your mind. We don't trust him for enough. We don't believe him for enough. We think these are fairy tales we read about. Or we treat them as such. Abraham was a man just as you and I. Sarah was a woman just as you ladies are. They had to walk and learn to walk by faith just as you and I do. A.W. Tozer goes on to say, God's looking for people through whom he can do the impossible. What a pity that we plan only the things we can do by ourselves. You know what most churches do? They make plans that they think they can accomplish. They budget what we can accomplish. They make these plans. to This is what we can afford to do. George Mueller said, faith does not operate in the realm of the possible. There is no glory for God in that which is humanly possible. Faith begins where man's power ends. When, is, when are God's people? When is the church of Jesus Christ going to start living truly by faith and asking God and trusting God to do things we can't do? If we can trust God to save our soul and take us to heaven, why can't we trust him for anything else? 
God's already done the most impossible thing he could ever do. Save your and my stinking sinful soul. Ain't nothing harder than that. So what is it that you're facing? What is it that God wants to do in your life that you can trust him for? You can't ask him for too much. You can't ask him for too much. He delights in doing exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or imagine. You can trust God. He is your exceeding great reward. There is nothing too difficult for him. I read this psalm yesterday. And I want to close with this. I'm going to adjust some of the words so that you will not think he's just talking to the Old Testament people. He's, these things are written for us. O people of God, Trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. O religious leaders, trust the Lord. He is your helper and your shield. The Lord remembers us and will bless us. He will bless his people. He will bless all of his people. Let's pray. Father, I just have to say that I'm sorry. And I need your forgiveness. Personally. Because, Lord, as one of the religious leaders, I don't trust you for enough. I tend to want to do what's safe and easy, comfortable, things that I know I can handle, and try to make plans for our church that way, too. Lord, I know that grieves your heart, and I'm sorry. I pray that you would forgive me. I pray that you would help me to trust you with all my heart. And stop leaning on my own understanding. Help me, Lord, in all my ways to acknowledge you, to get my attention on you. So that you can direct my paths. You've already done the hardest thing you could ever do. And Lord, nothing's hard for you, even saving a sinner. But Lord, from my perspective, from our perspective, you've done the hardest thing that could be done. And that is giving me and all sinners here the opportunity to be saved and live forever with you. 
So in comparison to that, whatever else you ask us and lead us to do is, is really very easy. If we'll trust you. Because, Lord, with you, there's no such thing as impossible. Well, I pray for that person or persons who are here this morning that that are still lost in their sin. I pray that you've spoken to them from your word and by your spirit. I trust, Lord, that you're convicting them of their need for you. I pray that you will help them. Help them to take that step of faith. Help them to trust you, to believe in you, and to surrender to you. To turn away from their sin and turn to you. If that's you this morning, I can help you with some words. Because you may be saying, how do I do that? What do I say? I can loan you some words, but the, the heart, the intent, the motive has to come from you. It has to be something you want. And because just praying a prayer, just to, for the sake of praying a prayer is not enough. It's, it's an expression of your heart's commitment to God. But if you need some help with some words, here's some words you could use. Dear God, I admit that I'm dead and hopeless, just as Abraham, and that I can do nothing to save myself from my sin. But I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, into this world. And that he died on a cross. And when he shed his blood, he was paying for my sin. And I believe that he rose again and is alive today. And I'm asking you today, dear God, will you please forgive my sin and save me? For I believe in you. Lord, you're hearing the cries of people's hearts. And you said, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Thank you, Lord, that there are people here who just made that commitment to you and thank you Lord that you just saved them and I ask you that you will help them to take the next step to follow you to obey you to love you help them to be willing Lord to profess you before men through baptism Lord help them to Open your word and hear you speak to them from the Bible. And God, I pray that you would help us as a church to surround them and help them. Because, Lord, we all need it. 
Lord, I pray for your people, the church of Jesus Christ, that, Lord, whatever impossible situations we think are impossible that we're facing, as an individual or family or even as a church, that, Lord, if, that you would help us to trust you with all of our heart and realize that, Lord, nothing with you is impossible. Now, Lord, take control of this invitation and this response time. And I pray that you'd lead people to do what you're leading them to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together.